expressed on this podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of my fabulous sponsors or advertisers. Any content provided by our bloggers or authors are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. This disclaimer was provided by DisclaimerTemplate.com. Hello, my lovely loyal listener. <laughs> Today is Sunday, November 6, 2022. And guess what, you guys? Daylight savings time ended if you're in the state, in the United States, that, you know, uses daylight savings times. Okay. So the clocks automatically, you know, the phone clocks and stuff automatically went back an hour. So when I woke up, I thought it was 5 o'clock, and it was actually 4 o'clock. And now it's 5.51 a.m. Sunday, (laughs) which is why I'm talking a little bit quiet, because, again, it's quiet time in my building. And I don't actually know if people can hear me through the walls because it's really quiet here. But I have noticed that I've got some new neighbors and I can hear them talking. So I would imagine if I'm talking loud enough, they can hear me. But anyway, it's just Miss Rose and you. And we're going to jump into an exciting episode today because we are finally at the exit of the sinkhole. So it's like we only got a few cars ahead of us and we're out of there. So we're going to just go on down and uh, keep on driving. And did I tell you I love you for listening? Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. And after this brief pause for the cause, we'll be right back with today's episode of Just Miss Rose and you. I love you for listening. We'll be right back. Alright, my lovely loyal listeners, we are back and we are on the website Psychology Today. And this article written by Michelle P. Maidenberg, PhD, MPH, LCSWR, CGP, is titled 15 Ways We Beat Ourselves Up. Our mind has a mind of its own offering feedback, even when it's not welcome. This was posted January 28th, 2021, and it was reviewed by Matt Houston. We all fall victim to beating ourselves up. For some of us, it is merciless. For others, it may just be initial thoughts that we notice and brush off rather than buying into them. Most of my patients with chatty minds plead with me to help rid them of the noise. They get frustrated with the chatter for the mere fact that it exists, what the chatter is conveying, and the struggle with trying to challenge, change, and rid themselves of the distress the chatter evokes. They find creative ways to avoid, dismiss, and get rid of the noise, most often with little success and mounds of frustration, distress, and hopelessness. 
they may recall initially coming to see me out of desperation because their methods failed them. I gently explain that the chatter is not the issue per se, rather it is the distress and struggle that goes along with it that becomes problematic. Inevitably, the goal is not necessarily to get rid of the chatter, but rather to lower the volume. They learned that their mind is persistent and the chatter is a direct portal to their values. The thoughts let us know what we want and what we don't want and what is meaningful and fundamentally important to us. Our minds are our reliable barometers. barometers. My patients learn to thank their minds for providing them with invaluable insight into the way they think, feel, and want to behave. They are often forced to listen to their minds but it is they who get to decide how they want to behave and react to the thoughts and feelings. I had a client whose boyfriend recently ended their year-long relationship. She wanted to be okay with the way he abruptly ended the relationship and the way he was inconsiderate towards her throughout their relationship. I thanked her mind for reminding her that her values dictate that she be troubled by the, his behavior, that she needs to be more mindful in future relationships. The chatter that caused her to repeatedly ask, how can a person behave this way to another person, gives her direction on how she wants to behave and personally be. It is her mind's way of relentlessly protecting her from future potential emotional pain. The brain, an incredible organ that we can that we can rely on, one that will incessantly try to guide and protect us. I have learned to appreciate and align with my mind. I often laughed at how relentless my mind is, even when it does not necessarily need to be. Our mind has a mind of its own. So much so that it often convinces us that thoughts are facts and that we have an indisputable reason to be sad, frustrated, anxious, angry, and the whole array of feelings that often surface. Its main intention is to guide and protect us. Our mind takes that role very seriously and often offers feedback even when it's not prompted or welcomed. There are at least 15 ways that we inadvertently beat ourselves up. It is our mind's way of guiding and protecting us and reminding us of what we truly value. We, number one, Compare ourselves to others. We naturally do this and can all remember doing this since we were very young. It is the way our mind helps us gauge if we are okay as compared to others. The issue is there will always be someone smarter, better looking, and more successful. And therefore, we often end up berating ourselves for not being as good as or not being good enough. Solution, notice where your focus is. Redirect it back to yourself without judgment and ask, how will I be my best self? What are my goals, my desires, and my needs? Number two, focus on everything that is wrong with us. Even though we realistically and intellectually know that as humans, we are all imperfect, Our minds lead us to believe that we ought to be perfect and without flaws. Our mind often defaults to tough love tactics to motivate us. For some, that works well. For others, it is discouraging and leads to hopelessness. Solution? Notice that you are focusing mainly on your negative characteristics or attributes and expand your focus by leaving room for recognizing and appreciating your more favorable and positive ones 
as well. Number three, dwell on the past or future. Our mind wants to prevent us from repeating past mistakes and from making future mistakes. It naturally gravitates to the past and future to ponder regrets and predict future experiences. The issue is that we often lose sight of the present moment because the mind is flooded with regret and anxiety. Solution, commit to a mindful practice where you are purposefully paying attention to the here and now. This can easily be practiced in daily life by slowing down and paying close attention to your day-to-day experiences or practicing meditation. I highly recommend the Insight Timer app. Number four, base our mood on things that we often cannot control and are external to us. Our thoughts get caught up and attach to certain feelings and impact our mood. For example, if someone acts unfriendly to us, behavior that we cannot necessarily control, we become frustrated, disappointed, and angry, and our moods shift based on our thoughts and feelings. These thoughts can be self-directed. I'm such an idiot for letting her treat me that way. Or externally directed. She's so selfish, I'm never going to talk to her again. Solution. Respect the thoughts and feelings that get evoked. Notice them, acknowledge them, and ask yourself, how else can I see this? And is my prompted reaction behavior a reflection of my best me and who I want to be? Recognize that an aggressive, angry thought or feeling does not mean you are an aggressive, angry person. You can have those thoughts and feelings and still choose to behave thoughtfully and mindfully. Number five, perseverate, perseverate, I don't know this word, y'all. That's going to be the dictionary definition word of the day. But it looks like perseverate over our mistakes. And y'all know me. If I'm reading the word and I don't know what it is, I can't read any further because I don't know what this word is. And I'm saying it wrong. So here we go. Perseverate. Perseverate. It's a verb in psychology. Repeat or prolong an action thought, or utterance after the stimulus that prompted it has ceased. Okay. When we experience making what we perceive as a mistake, we can dwell on it for days or longer, recounting what happened and how it could or should have been different. Solution. Recognize that as humans, we are all imperfect. Mistakes are bound to happen, and mistakes are just that, mistakes. Going forward, you can make the choice to behave differently. Mindfully contemplate what you can learn from your experiences to improve your future. Number six, do not differentiate between stress and distress. Our minds often confuse normal and average stress with distress. For example, it is expected that moving comes along with stress, loss, packing, unpacking, organizing, etc. The distress comes when we struggle with and attempt to gr- and attempt to get rid of our stress. It manifests in intense and uncomfortable thoughts, feelings, and reactions. We may say, "I shouldn't be stressed about this," or If I'm stressed, it means that I can't handle things. Solution, identify the source of your stress and the significance it has for you. Acknowledge your vulnerabilities, how the stress is impacting you, and what support you may need. Seek out the support that you need and deserve. Number seven, place stipulations on our actions. 
things must be organized a certain way or follow a certain schema in order for us to be in order for us to take direct action. Because things do not always align, we procrastinate and lack follow through, which we then get down on ourselves about. For example, we may say, I'll exercise when I'm feeling up to it, or I'll look for a new job when there are several jobs for me to apply to. Solution, avoid attaching contingencies and stipulations to behavior. Do things that attach to your values just because, even if it takes effort, it's challenging, and you don't feel like it. Number eight, label ourselves and neglect to recognize and accept the different parts of ourselves. We may refer to ourselves as unthoughtful, unsuccessful, lazy, impulsive, etc. When our other parts present themselves, we may not give them as much credence because they do not fit into the schema of how we see ourselves. Labeling ourselves and not noticing our different and distinct parts thwarts progress towards self-acceptance, self-compassion, and self-love and promotes thinking that the negative attributes at the negative attributes are all of what we are, i.e., am bad versus did bad. Solution. Recognize that even when we feel one-dimensional, in fact, we are not. We have different parts that make up our whole. It is in our nature to notice and focus on our negative attributes and behaviors. Our mind wants to improve and be good enough or as good as. It will naturally dwell on the negativity. To notice the more positive attributes and behaviors, it often takes a concerted effort. Make that effort and even when your mind continually and inevitably pulls you away, return back. If you are genuinely, if you are generally mindful about acting in accordance with your values, you will have much positivity to reflect on. Number nine, avoid discomfort, shame, and or uncomfortable thoughts and feelings. It is not a wonder why they would be avoided. Our mind tells us it is uncomfortable and to run for the hills. The issue is that we deprive ourselves of the opportunity to build resilience, coping skills, and a corrective experience. We reinforce our negative thoughts, feelings, and experiences because that is all we know and are privy to. Our past experiences do not let us believe otherwise. Solution. We need to test assumptions if we are to see and experience things differently. In order to challenge ourselves, it will require experiencing and leaning into uncomfortable thoughts and feelings. When they arise, notice them, label them, e.g. uncomfortable, shameful, etc., and observe them. Notice how they appear, when and how they change, and whether they are directly impacting your behavior. Be mindful about how you want to behave and consider when you are problem solving. Keep in mind that thoughts and feelings are fleeting and what often feels like a catastrophe in the moment, excuse me, usually dissipates with time. Rational thinking and the ability to process it more openly and expansively. And you guys, we're going to take a quick break and come back with number 10 through 15 of this article, 15 Ways We Beat Ourselves Up on Psychology Today. Did I tell you I love you for listening? I love you for listening. We'll be right back. Number 10, don't recognize that our disparaging thoughts often show up as self-importance. They may show up as thoughts like, it only happens to me, everyone thinks this way of me, or 
everyone notices my mistakes and flaws. Even though these feel legitimate, they are also very self-focused and reflect self-absorption. An example is when we wake up in the morning and notice a pimple on our face and feel annoyed and self-conscious. When we walk down the street and notice someone looking at us, we assume that they are noticing our pimple as if they have nothing more important to be thinking about than your measly pimple. Solution, when you notice that you are self-focused and it becomes all about you, expand your field of vision. Notice others and what their experience may be. Ground yourself with the notion that your thoughts, feelings, and experiences are typical and universal and that you are okay just as you are. Number 11. Equate negative thoughts and feelings with facts. Our mind sometimes makes the mistake of not reality testing our negative thoughts and feelings. We expect that because our mind relays it, it must be credible. Solution? Remember that thoughts are not facts and that they are often unpredictable, irrational, and fleeting. Give yourself permission to be curious. Be open to all possibilities. Reality test thoughts and expand your thinking to include a multitude of alternatives that you can consider. Number 12. Have a plethora of shoulds and expectations for ourselves and others. We have developed a script of our expectations, assumptions, and rules for our lives and others. If we or others behave out of line with that script, we often get judgmental, frustrated, and angry. We have set ourselves up because of life's guaranteed uncertainties. Things do not always go the way we want and expect them to. People don't always behave the way we want and expect them to. And often, we surprise ourselves as well. Solution? Understand what your shoulds, ought tos, and musts are. Recognize that your reaction is based on your own perspective. Others may not share these perspectives. It is their right not to. Consider other perspectives and ways of looking at yourself and others. Number 13. Expect that we will not be understood. We often don't expect to get our needs met or be understood by others. The challenge is that we often prematurely react based on that prediction. We may not bother trying, avoid, or cut off, and or become frustrated. We may also negatively act out or just give up because of feeling hopeless and helpless. Solution? Notice the insecurities that get evoked when you are approaching and interacting in your interpersonal relationships. Make efforts to be understood by being open to experiences, taking risks at being vulnerable, and by explaining yourself to others in an effort to be understood. Number 14. Expect people to read our minds. There is an expectation that others, especially partners or the people emotionally closest to us, should and can read our minds. When they can't, we react negatively. We say, if they know me well, they should know this about me. Or, they should know what I want by now. We get down on them for being inadequate and ourselves for not effectively getting our needs met. 
solution? Because people are always experiencing growth and development, we are forever changing and in flux. Based on your mood or the circumstances, one day you may want to receive physical affection when you're feeling down, while other days you may want space and alone time to gather your thoughts and regroup. We most definitely cannot read minds. Express your desires and needs from circumstance to circumstance, or you run an even greater risk of being misunderstood and not attended to. Number 15, perpetually second-guess ourselves. We go through the motions of thinking about why we did not make the best decision, or maybe there was another decision that was not considered. We exhibit a lack of self-confidence, self-assurance, and conviction in our thoughts, beliefs, and actions. Solution? Decisions are typically not black and white. There are usually both negative and positive consequences to most decisions, and they may also run contrary to values that we hold in high regard. That is why so often it is difficult to make decisions and then feel conviction about these, those, about these decisions. Learn to effectively problem-solve by recognizing all alternatives and decide which values are a priority in the moment. For more specific guidance with this, please see this post, which is a hyperlink. There are so many ways we beat ourselves up. We cannot control our thoughts and feelings, but we can control the actions we take. It is the nature of our mind to wonder, get distracted, and be consumed by a multitude of thoughts. With thinking, there naturally follows a surface, a surfacing of comfortable and uncomfortable feelings. All thoughts and feelings are welcome. They generously, they generously teach us about ourselves, what is important to us, and what we want out of life. Be compassionate and generous with yourself. With courtesy, notice your thoughts, observe them, and be open to learning from them. Okay? Here is my reflecting on our life guide, guided meditation about the author. Michelle P. Maidenberg, Ph.D., MPH, LCSWR, CGP, maintains a private practice in Harrison, New York. She is an adjunct graduate professor of mindfulness practice at New York University and the president and clinical director of the Through My Eyes Foundation. My new book, Ace Your Life, Unleash Your Best Self, and Live the Life You Want, is available to pre-order. <laughs> Her book, not mine, you guys. And we want to thank Dr. Maidenberg for her article in Psychology Today, 15 Ways We Beat Ourselves Up. Our mind has a mind of its own, offering feedback even when it's not welcome. And we'll be right back with yet another exciting article on today's Sunday episode of Just Miss Rose and You. <laughs> I love you for listening. We'll be right back. All right, my lovely loyal listeners, we are back and we are on the website humanwindow.com and this article is titled, Where Do Our Thoughts Come From? Five Experts Explain. It was written by Martin Caparota, updated on October 24th, 2020. Have you ever wondered where your thoughts come from? 
The human mind is incredibly complex, and trying to define our thoughts and their origin is not an easy task by any means. We asked a selected group of experts to answer the question, where do our thoughts come from? Here's what they said. Most of our thoughts come from our subconscious mind. Jennifer Fitter, mindset coach and personal trainer. Most of our thought processes originate from our subconscious mind and we are often times outside of our conscious awareness. The little voices in our head, I am not good enough, this won't work anyway, why, etc., are thoughts we continuously repeat to ourselves. When we are trying to control these thoughts, we usually approach them from a logical, rational standpoint. The problem is that these thoughts are sometimes not based on current logic, but stem from our childhood, from a time when a different logic applied. The fear of spiders is a great example of this. A fear of spiders can come from our childhood. We might have watched one of our parents scream frantically and jump on a table when they saw a spider. That's when our subconscious mind learned spiders are dangerous and something to be afraid of. This logic made sense to us when we were a child. Now that we are an adult, we know most spiders are actually not dangerous. And even though this adult logic makes sense to us, we are probably still afraid of spiders because this adult logic doesn't apply to our subconscious mind. And that's what makes changing our thought processes so hard. To make it easier, we have to initiate the change where, those, where these thoughts origi- originate from, the subconscious mind. You can accept or reject any thought. Stuart Doughty, personal development mentor consultant with the Proctor Gallagher Institute. Thoughts are things. These are the opening words of Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill's classical bestseller about the workings of the mind and the principles of success. Powerful things that stimulate a person's imagination and are the source of everything we create. Thinking is a mental activity of the human mind that never ceases. It has no beginning and no end. Our personal thoughts are the intellectual expression of an electrical energy that flows constantly through the human mind. And our thoughts are the ignition for everything we do. Nothing gets created without a person first thinking about it. But we rarely give any thought to where those ideas and concepts come from. They just are. While labeling or describing the thinking process helps to bring order to our mind, we have never adequately understood why we think or how thoughts arise in our conscious awareness. As human beings, we think. We do not need to know any more about the origins of thought or the mind. It's more important to understand how to use it and how to take conscious control over our thinking. The majority of a person's thoughts are automatic and arise from the subconscious mind. We do not consciously choose most of our thoughts. They simply appear from that constant flow of mental chatter. The thoughts we actually think are the ones we focus on, the ones that catch our attention, which often come with a strong feeling attached to them. These are the types of thoughts that we act on, and they are often a repetitive pattern of activity that deliver similar results and leave a person with a recognizable life and predictable future. We can, however, change our life if we learn to use our mental faculties deliberately. When we consciously apply reason or perception to originate thoughts and ideas, we can influence our future. But mostly, we are guided through our days by our subconscious mind delivering familiar thoughts, ideas, observations, and judgments 
into our conscious mind. Those thoughts cause our actions and become habits of behavior that deliver predictable results. If a person is to take real control of their life and create the life they want, they must learn to take conscious control of the thought stream in their mind instead of abdicating responsibility for thinking. That begins with awareness of what they are actually thinking. To be able to distinguish between what automatically arises and what is consciously originated, learning to choose the thoughts that match their goals and desires, rejecting thoughts that arise that do not match their vision for their life. We have the power and right to accept or reject any thought that enters our mind. To do that, we must learn to recognize that our thoughts are not reality or the truth, but offerings. We have the option of choosing to believe and follow a thought or to reject it and replace it with a better one. It requires awareness of that option and practice of rejecting strong thoughts that do not fit our view of who we want to be. Begin to choose thoughts that reflect your values and desired identity. Do not choose those thoughts based on present conditions or circumstances which were created by past thinking. Choose your thoughts based on what you wish to be, do, or have. That's how you create a future you desire instead of a predictable future that looks a lot like the present. A thought is the simplest level of conceptualization. Anne-Marie Emanuele, creative director and founder of Mindful Frontiers. Thoughts are a product of the way the mind interacts with our environment to create a story. Stressful thoughts originate in the amygdala, part of the limbic system. I'm probably saying that's wrong. A-M-Y-G D-A-L-A. I'm going to get this record. I saw this word before. So hold on, you guys. Come on, define. How do we say it? Amygdala. Amygdala. A roughly, oh, it's a noun in its anatomy, a roughly almond-shaped mass of gray matter inside each cerebral hemisphere involved with the experiencing of emotions. Amygdala. Amygdala. Okay, here we go. All right, let's go back to our article. All right. Stressful thoughts originate in the amygdala, part of the limbic system. Thoughts are also called stories in the Buddhist teaching of the five skandhas, five conditions, that explains how our brain relates to the chain reaction of a stimulus. The chains contain sense perception, reaction, interpretation, and story. The story is when the mind creates meaning around a stimulus and an experience. A thought is the simplest level of conceptualization. We can mostly define we can most definitely control our thoughts by using mindful meditation skills based on present moment awareness. Firstly, I do not use the word control in my teaching and practice. I prefer using the concept of allowing, acknowledging, investigating. Certainly, a thought gone wild, the story, may end up causing hurt, pain, misunderstanding, even violence. However, a thought by itself doesn't need to be controlled. Rather, we can be gentle and allow thought to come and go with equanimity. Basically, when a person meditates using open awareness, which is a type of meditation practice 
wherein all thoughts and awarenesses are welcomed and acknowledged, they are allowing whatever comes to mind at that moment. During an open awareness practice, thoughts come and go, and we choose whether to allow them to pervade our consciousness or we can do a variety of things to acknowledge them and let them go. For example, noting or labeling is a powerful way to acknowledge our thoughts and let them go. When a thought comes to mind, we recognize it, accept it, investigate whether we feel it in the body and maybe even what it's about. Then we label it as past, future, pleasant, unpleasant, and we send it on its way into a file in our mind with that label. With practice, this kind of mindful meditation will allow us to be focused on the present moment and not controlled by thoughts. We won't ruminate about them or let them take over our consciousness. You're not supposed to control your thoughts. Vanessa Broers, Life and Performance Coach. According to the three principles, thought is one of three fundamental life energies. Just like you cannot control the actual life energy that flows through you, keeping you alive, you also cannot control the thought energy that is flowing through your mind and creating your thinking. You're also not supposed to. Thought is one of the most powerful energies available to us as human beings, and it is absolutely our key to create anything and everything we want in our lives. Thought is what has us create our internal and external experiences. When you know how to use it, instead of being used by it. You cannot control your thoughts, but you can control the attention you pay to them. Behind all of our active and relentless minds is our true authentic self. It's the peaceful, calm presence that you assess, that you access when you sit in meditation for long enough. After a really great massage or the feeling of total peace and calm after a really hard laugh or a really good cry. That peaceful presence is available to you at every single moment. If you start to pay attention to the fact that you are thinking, you realize you cannot be your thinking. You start to create more and more separation from your thoughts and get more and more access to your ability to observe them, but never control them. You can begin to realize that the thoughts you think create the emotional experience you are having. You are always feeling your thinking, nothing else. When you start to see that you are feeling what you're feeling because of what you are thinking and not what is happening around you, life gets really interesting. If someone cuts you off in traffic or is rude to you on the street, you no longer have to control them. You simply notice the thought you have about it and how that thought makes you feel. Once you get the hang of this, you can begin to simply let go of thoughts that make you feel bad and conjure up more thoughts to make you feel good, inspired, excited, and grateful. This can sound a lot like positive thinking, but the key difference is noticing that behind your thinking is always your calm center. This is the true command and control center. The more access you have to this space, the more you can control your responses to your thoughts and you let go of taking your thinking seriously altogether. Then your thoughts become a servant to you. You guys, there's some more to this article. You know what, though? 
there's no this is the last of it so I'm just gonna take a quick sip of water right here and I'm gonna I'm gonna read this I think this is the last part your thoughts are not as random as you might think Gerish Dut Shukla digital marketer and author of Maroon in a Sky of Blue. Your thoughts are a culmination of your experiences. The stimuluses you receive from around you and your beliefs and principles. Your sudden thoughts are not really that random. The precursors must have been simmering in your subconscious for a while. This is often indicated by sudden slip of tongue or impulse actions because sometimes the filter in our conscious is overpowered by our subconscious. Your thoughts can arise because of two reasons, our experiential history and our evolutionary prehistory. What we have learned consciously and unconsciously and the various experiences that have shaped our bodies and the way our neurons interact in large and small ways are what our experiential history comprises of. On the other hand, our evolutionary prehistory is essentially the experiential history of our ancestors. Many scientists believe that we are only in control of a tiny fraction of our thoughts. As the majority of our thinking is done by the subconscious, we have little to no control over it. What our brain receives and processes is not under our power. Of course, we can decide to think about something consciously, such as something we have learned or something we want to recall. But most of the time, When we have taken a particular action, our mind may still be cooking up alternative plans. But in the end, you do have the power to change the direction of your thoughts with reasoning and facts. You can also take conscious steps to take the right action. Follow at Human Window on Instagram. And you guys, that is the conclusion of that article. From humanwindow.com, where do our thoughts come from? Five Experts Explain by Martin Caparotti. Caparota. Caparota. And we'll be right back with the last article for today's episode of Just Miss Rose and You on this lovely Sunday, November 6th, 2022. Did I tell you I love you for listening? I love you for listening. And we'll be right back. It's time for Dictionary Definition of the Day. Today's Dictionary Definition Word of the Day, brought to you by Oxford Languages, is introspection. It's a noun. The examination or observation of one's own mental and emotional processes. Introspection. And we'll be right back. All right, my lovely loyal listeners, for our last article today on Just Miss Rosa and You, we're back on Psychology Today, and this article written by Beverly D. Flaxington, titled, Five Ways to Stop Beating Yourself Up. It's easy to be your own harshest critic, 
better to be your best friend. Now, this was posted May 8th, 2015, and it was reviewed by Kaja Parini. It's great to have goals. Everyone needs to have things in life they strive to achieve. But is it necessary to constantly seek profession, perfection in everything and then beat ourselves up for every misstep or harshly self-criticize for each perceived underachievement? In healthy doses, self-critique can be helpful. Through introspection, we find new ways to improve, better connect with others, and become more self-aware and humane. However, nothing is good when done or taking in excess, especially self-criticism. The repeated effects of this practice are detrimental. Instead of helping you reach your goals or become a better version of yourself, self-criticism belittles you and erodes your peace of mind. Do you enjoy it when other people judge and critique you? Does it encourage you to thrive or boost your self-confidence? Would you tolerate it if someone bullied your child or harassed your friend? Without a doubt, these are painful experiences. So why let the voices in your own head do the same to you? Why be your own bully? Because that is what you are if you incessantly self-criticize. No one knows you better than you do. No one knows what hurts you most or how to attack your weaknesses in the meanest ways possible. We all sometimes doubt our abilities and wish to improve certain aspects of our personalities, attitudes, looks, or skills. It's normal. However, constantly thinking of ourselves as worthless or not good enough is very different. Chronically treating ourselves with scorn and self-loathing can have consequences for our mental well-being, health, and relationships with loved ones. Where does it come from? Self-bullying arises from lack of compassion and kindness towards oneself. It is often engendered by painful childhood experiences that left a child with emotional scars. Children are more vulnerable and susceptible to negativity, so harsh criticism from parents, teachers, or peers can easily shatter their confidence, making them feel insecure or inadequate. The desire to avoid others' criticism is in Oh, excuse me. The desire to avoid others' criticism in the future prods us to set criteria and standards for ourselves and conditions us to think that we need to be perfect and better than others in order to be loved and appreciated. Perfectionism is perfectionism in its positive form can help us be more successful, but the negative or self-critical form actually impedes our progress. Negative self-talk and worrying about what others would say can zap the energy needed to become a better you. The results of five psychological studies demonstrated a consistent pattern of negative relationship between self-criticism and goal progress. Participants reported significantly less progress towards goals when they ranked higher in self-criticism. A positive relationship between self-oriented perfectionism and goal progress was also established. When self-criticism was controlled, participants reported significantly more goal progress. Nobody is perfect and even the best and brightest make mistakes. Instead of dwelling on failures, learn from them and move on. Silence the inner bully that persistently goads you to hurt and neglect yourself. Following are five practices to help you become the best you. You, wait a minute. Following are five practices to help you become the best you can be. 
Number one, focus more on positive self-talk. Make a conscious effort to stop putting yourself down. To do that, you need to be more aware of your negative self-talk. Those jabbing comments that you make to yourself, compliment yourself on the things you do well. Acknowledge your achievements, no matter how small. Make a list at the end of each day of five things you did well that made you happy or that you are proud of doing. Write these down and then read them to yourself out loud if possible before you go to bed. This won't eliminate all negative thinking, but if you can tip the scales toward the positive, it will help keep your energy up. Number two, practice kindness towards yourself. Being kind to yourself is just as important as being kind to others. Here's a rule. Things that you would never say to your loved ones, either out of consideration or for the fear that you might offend them, should never be said to yourself either. Imagine the amount of suffering it would cause others to hear these things from you and realize that you are hurting yourself just as much. To to quote from an old song by Helen Reddy. Would you take better care of yourself? Would you be kinder to yourself? Would you be more forgiving of your human imperfections if you realized your best friend was yourself? Number three, stop comparing yourself to others. There is always going to be someone better than you at something. There will be those who are not as proficient as you too. If you tend to compare yourself to someone who is the best at what they do, you may be playing a losing game. We play so many role, so many roles throughout our lives that it's impossible to be better than the other 7 billion human beings at, at everything. Accept the fact that you are not perfect and focus on being the best version of yourself. Number four, think of mistakes as learning opportunities. Life is an unending process of self-improvement and mistakes are unavoidable. It truly is a journey and just like the longest road trip would would involve some mistaken turns, so does your life. You have many great qualities and many areas for improvement. See those mistakes as opportunities. They show you what you need to work on to become the best you can be. Number five, be patient with yourself. It takes time to correct the harmful habits that you have had most of your life, especially deep-rooted ones like self-criticism. Considerable Effort is required to change the way you think and to foster positive self-talk to get to the calmer, more reasonable you. Your life is a work in progress, so commit each day to doing something positive for you. Practice until being naturally good to yourself becomes more comfortable. Most important, don't beat yourself up when you don't do as well as you should. About the author, Beverly D. Flaxington teaches at Suffolk University. Online, Bev's books, Facebook, and Twitter. And we want to thank Beverly D. Flaxington for her wonderful article, Five Ways to Stop Beating Yourself Up. It's easy to be your own harshest critic, better to be your best friend. And with that, you guys, that is the conclusion of today's episode of Just Miss Rose and you. Don't beat yourself up. Be your own best friend. Now, you know the rules. Don't let anybody take you from your square because you are the only you in the entire universe and nobody is doing a better job of being you uh, than you. And on that note, Please support my sister podcast as the Massage Table Turns. I appreciate your lovely, loyal listenership. And that's it for today's episode of Just Miss Rose, Season 3. Ha, ha, ha. 
Uh, We will talk with you next Sunday. So do me a favor. Have a fabulous week. And we'll talk to you Monday on As the Massage Table Turns. Miss Rose out. Have a great week. Bye. Mwah.